We've been taught since childhood that when in doubt about a course of action, it's best to play it safe or to cover all your bases or to leave yourself a little wiggle room. Never get your box, yourself boxed into a corner, goes the mantra. Instead, steer a middle course and always give yourselves an out. The rabbis of old followed this advice whenever they felt uncomfortable with laws and practices that had been written in the Bible hundreds of years before them. They created, therefore, what we call today a workaround, a way of preserving the letter of the law while simultaneously adding requirements which made, which made it virtually impossible to apply the law. The workaround allowed the rabbis to claim a safe middle ground. They could say that they kept the law while letting their restrictive requirements for application advertise their distaste for it. In short, they were able to figure out a way to have their cake and eat it too. A case in point is a troublesome law in this week's Torah portion from the book of Numbers. The law says that if a man suspects his wife has been unfaithful to him and she does not admit it, he can test her honesty, honesty by having her drink what the Bible calls bitter water. The test was to be administered by a priest who would mix sacred water together with dirt from the floor of the wilderness sanctuary and make the suspected adulteress drink it. If her belly swelled and she became sick, all would know she was guilty of adultery and she would be punished. But if she remained well, she would be released without consequence. A law such as this probably made sense in biblical times. After all, men made the law and women were treated as inferior. But the rabbis who came later realized that some aspects of this law just didn't feel right. For one, the law provided a test for the alleged adulterous wife, but where was the test for the suspected adulterated husband? Second, the law required the suspected wife to untie her hair in public even before she drank the bitter water. This forced attack on her modesty was a horrific thing to make a woman do in those days. And besides prejudicing the outcome by making it already look like she was guilty, it punished her before guilt was ever established. Third, by the time the rabbis by the time of the rabbis, the people were sophisticated enough to realize that a test like this would probably prove nothing. Plus, the rabbis feared that the prospect of having to take a test like this might push a woman to admit to something she actually did not do. Trying then to avoid these issues, the rabbis kept the law on the books, as they say, but they hedged their bets by demanding that witnesses had to warn a suspected adulteress a number of times before she committed adultery. And witnesses also had to confirm 
that they actually saw her engage in this kind of activity. Now, how likely is it that somebody who is getting ready to commit adultery will do it in front of witnesses? Clearly, the rabbis encumbered the law with so many obstacles that it became almost impossible to prove that adultery should ever be suspected. They cleverly found a way to have it both ways by straddling the issue. This strategy for avoiding culpability is in fact so often successful that it's hard to see when life's realities are forcing us to abandon it and making us to finally take a stand. An old joke about a chicken and a pig illustrate this like nothing else can. One day, a pig and a chicken were riding in the back of a truck and saw a charity event in progress. So the chicken, in a giving spirit, said to the pig, let's make a contribution of ham and eggs. But the pig, seeing the danger, said, no way, because for you that means a contribution. But for me, it means a total commitment. <laughs> like the pig, we humans are by nature reluctant to abandon the safety of the middle road. We're hesitant to do what the children's song and dance, the hokey pokey, asks us to do, put our whole selves in or our whole selves out. We intuit existentially that total commitment can be dangerous to our health so we instinctively take the middle road. But so can wavering or playing it safe be just as dangerous. Just ask Martin Niemuller, the pastor who defied the Nazis and paid for it with his life. He took a stand. His ode to commitment even in the face of death is now legendary. In speaking about the Nazis, he wrote, first they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, an anti-Nazi, and there was no one left to speak for me. You wonder how many good Germans said to themselves in those days, when Jews and other so-called undesirables were being rounded up, I don't think the Jews deserve this treatment, but it's not my responsibility to say so. I'll stay neutral and protect myself. Unfortunately, most innocent Germans did just that, but eventually they too paid a price for their silence. Imagine today how many Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, unionists, and others might have been saved from had these neutrals abandoned the safety of the middle road and spoken out. Remember Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof? At a certain point, he stopped saying, on this hand it is true, but on the other hand, this is true as well. Instead, he finally had to say, there's no other hand. In any society or country, no matter how dear it is to us or how dangerous it may be to speak out, what we have learned is we cannot afford to acquiesce 
to its shortcomings. Our patriotism cannot be blind to faith or deaf to injustice. The laws of God demand that when human life is being degraded, we cannot stand idly by the blood of our neighbor. We have to be either all in or all out in our pronouncements. There can be no middle way. Silence is not an option. But politics is not the only place where life pushes us to take a stand. It's just the most obvious place. We play the same game of staking out the security of the middle road in our personal lives as well every day. The ways are just harder to see because we disguise them so well. Look at the way we travel from place to place in an almost inexplicable frenzy of motion. We move from here to there and there to here in hopes of finding what we could not find over there in the first place. Our mantras seem to be, I couldn't find myself here, so I'm going to try it over there. Or I'm hoping for a new start in a new place. Or such and such a place was not a good fit. Rabbi Joseph Nerit of blessed memory once observed, there is in each of us a constant and strong tension between where we are and where we long to be. We hover in this tension in this never satisfied land. There are always two roads before us and both lead to frustration. When we are in one place, we dream of being in another, but the other also leaves us restless and discontent, but we never stop because the grass is always greener on the other side. Ultimately, many appear to have an inability to be unhappy anywhere because they fail to understand that we carry our happiness or unhappiness with us wherever we go. The middle passage, however, where you can eat your cake and have it too, is the route of endless options. We can keep running from our challenges as long as we don't run out of places to hide from them. But once again, one day, life here too shuts down the options and we have to take a stand. We have to take an honest look at ourselves and realize that our way of thinking is the problem, not our location. Failure to do so dooms us to a life of wandering through the trash heaps of broken dreams. We don't usually think about taking such a stand with regard to our thinking or behavior like this, but maybe we should in other ways as well. For example, blaming others for our misdeeds or fabricating alibis for our mistakes or justifying our injustices by saying others do the same thing are no more acceptable than the rabbis covering up a bad law with bogus requirements. No matter how you slice it, it's all the same as putting the proverbial lipstick on a pig, who, according to the joke, doesn't want to be well sliced up. Safety values have a place in life, and some situations truly do not allow for clear-cut stands. But when safety valve strategies are used to hide mistakes, misbehavior, and injustices, 
They threaten the safety of everyone involved. Sometimes you just can't play it safe. It's too dangerous. The rabbis teach that while none of us are required to complete our given tasks, neither are we free to desist from starting them. This teaching allows for many interpretations, but the one I like best is the one which says that we are never free to desist from starting our work with the most important ingredient of all, honesty. Honesty with ourselves, honesty in our situation, and honesty with others.